Luke chapter 22, verse 63. Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. They also blindfolded him and kept asking him, Prophesy, who is it that struck you? And they said many other things against him, blaspheming him. When day came, the assembly of the elders of the people gathered together, both chief priests and scribes. And they led him away to their council, and they said, If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. So they all said, Are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, You say that I am. Then they said, What further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from his lips. Then the whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar, and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But they were urgent, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, from Galilee even to this place. Good morning, everyone. It is great to see you, and it's a real treat to be uh, preaching in person uh, rather than through a camera this morning. Let me start off uh, with a question. Uh, If I was to ask you to explain the word ironic, what examples would come to mind? One for the English teachers out there. What examples come to mind? Now, I'm pretty sure that um, if you're of a certain age, the first thing that comes to mind, uh, you've, got, you've got the words going through your head, you're thinking, isn't it ironic? Don't you think? It's like, rain. I'm not going to go into the song, but you, you've got this song, Alanis Morissette, uh, ironic in your head, haven't you? Uh, some of you won't have a clue uh, what that song is, uh, but uh, that, that, well, Dave Dowling told me that that had come straight into his head when he heard that I was speaking on irony. Uh, but uh, other examples that might come to mind are the fact that Britain uh, has a newspaper called The Sun, or uh, the fact that apparently the Bible is the most shoplifted book in America, a bizarre fact for you. Uh, or uh, uh, an example of an event, um, apparently the comic actor uh, Charlie Chaplin once entered a uh, Charlie Chaplin lookalike contest uh, and he only came in 20th. I mean, how outrageous is that? If we're thinking about events, uh, then irony is when what appears to be the case on the surface differs radically from what is actually the case. And there is nothing more ironic than what we see in our passage today. Sometimes uh, irony can be really funny, can't it? Uh, But here in this passage, it's tragic and it's serious and it really matters. Uh, And if we miss the irony in this passage, uh, then we'll miss the punch that this passage has. Uh, We'll miss seeing uh, who Jesus truly is and what he has come to do, uh, and we'll miss uh, how easy it is for us to be blind to those things. So let's pray before we dive in. 
Father God, thank you that in all the confusion and uncertainty of life, your word is a, a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. Please would you help us to see clearly as we open up this passage this morning. Please speak to us. Please give us ears that are willing to listen. Please change us, uh, both individually and together as a church family, by your Spirit, uh, as we hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've been uh, working our way through Luke's gospel, haven't we? Uh, And so let's uh, start by getting our bearings again. We're at a, a critical moment. Jesus has been betrayed by one of his very own disciples. Uh, uh, Judas has, has led him to the chief priests uh, and members of the temple guard have taken him from the Garden of Gethsemane back to the official residence of the high priest. And so we get to verse 63 of chapter 22 where we read this. Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. They also blindfolded him and kept asking him, prophesy, who is it that struck you? And they said many other things against him, blaspheming him. You might have played the game, blind man's buff, uh, where you pop a blindfold on and people poke you and shout at you and you've got to try and stumble around trying to find where they are. Uh, And those guarding Jesus play a, a particularly unpleasant version of that game here. Uh, they mock him uh, as, they, uh, as one who can prophesy by striking him and shouting, who, who struck you? The other gospels tell us that they also punched him and spat in his face. Jesus being a prophet seems like a good joke to them. Many are tempted to treat Jesus that way today. Uh, maybe even you. But here's the first tragic irony that we see in this passage. The irony of mocking the great prophet. You see, in doing these things, they are actually fulfilling Jesus' very own words, his prophetic words. Uh, Before even arriving in Jerusalem, Jesus has said that he will be be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spat upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And not only that, but we've also just seen Peter deny Jesus three times, exactly as Jesus said would happen. Everything that is happening with the guards is actually confirming Jesus' amazing prophetic abilities. But he has dignity, uh, and he knows exactly where he is headed. Uh, So he's not going to perform on demand. But he doesn't just have amazing prophetic abilities. He is the great prophet, uh, not just a prophet. Uh, There had been uh, many prophets, uh, but they all pointed forward to the great prophet. Uh, God had promised that one day a prophet would come uh, who would fulfill God's promise of making a way for the people to be washed clean uh, and to be able to have a right relationship with God. Early on in the Bible, in Deuteronomy chapter 18, uh, God says, I will raise up for you a prophet like Moses, uh, as in one who would speak God's words and who will rescue you. 
And then later on uh, in the book of Isaiah, uh, as we read earlier in the service, um, still written hundreds of years before Jesus, uh, we heard this. I was not rebellious. I turned not backwards. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beards. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. The portrait that Isaiah paints of this great prophet who would come is one of a suffering servant, one who would know rejection, disgrace, and spitting. And Isaiah tells us that through his suffering, we will be healed. And so not only are the gods fulfilling Jesus' very own words, but they're even fulfilling the words of the ones who prophesied about him hundreds of years beforehand. These gods have the great prophet standing before them, uh, the one who speaks God's words, uh, the one who knows everything, the one who, who even knows the future. I mean, wouldn't you love to know the future, particularly at the moment with COVID? I mean, who wouldn't love to know the future? Uh, they, they could have asked him uh, exactly when the next earthquake was due uh, or, or which horse breeder to buy shares in. But instead, they just mock him, don't they? And they put him in a blindfold. Uh, and yet they are the ones who are truly blind. They are the ones who are foolish. I was on a uh, climbing expedition in Bolivia uh, many years ago, and uh, we were just about to start up this, this really big peak uh, about three in the morning, my friend and I, uh, and uh, this fairly old-looking man uh, kind of stumbled up to us and uh, said that his wife was ill, who he was going to climb with, uh, and would, he, would we mind if he came along with us? Uh, we didn't really want to be held back by him. Uh, we were a bit worried uh, about him being a liability in a really dangerous environment. Uh, but after uh, asking him various, various questions, uh, we agreed that he could tag along with us fairly reluctantly. Uh, but during the day, uh, we started to think that this guy really knew what he was doing. We were going way quicker than usual. We were the fastest party on the mountain. Uh, and we finally uh, asked him what he did for a living. And, uh, and he told us that he was actually a, a, a professional mountain guide in the Swiss Alps. Uh, and he just happened to be in Bolivia on holiday with his wife. And we suddenly realized uh, his humility uh, and his dignity uh, and that he'd really been helping us out all day. We felt pretty foolish. I wonder if you've ever had a, a similar experience, uh, not recognizing uh, who someone is. The joke is always on you in the end, isn't it? Uh, you are the one who is foolish. Here they mock Jesus, even as he goes through this, uh, not just to help them, uh, but to save human, sinful human beings uh, like them, uh, like you, and like me. And if we're tempted to mock or scorn him now, uh, we are the ones who are going to be foolish in the end. So what must have been a long night for Jesus with the guards finally comes to an end. 
but there's no let up. We're told, verse 66, that when day came, uh, the assembly of the elders of the people gathered together, both chief priests and scribes, uh, and they led him away to their council. Uh, Jesus is brought before the, the leading figures of Israel and put on trial as soon as morning comes. Uh, they must have been wanting to get him for ages and, and they don't hang around. They must have thought, yes, we've, we've finally got him. They intend to destroy him uh, and they think they're in full control. But yet again, wonderfully, the message of who Jesus is and what he has come to do uh, cuts through clearly uh, through their words and their actions. And we see that it's actually Jesus who is fully in control. The council or Sanhedrin, uh, the ruling body of Israel, had only uh, limited authority over life and death. And so they had to get him before the Romans, before Pilate, uh, as soon as possible. Uh, And so they cut to the chase. Uh, They say this, verse 67. If you are the Christ, tell us. Christ is the same word as Messiah. Uh, Christ is uh, the Greek. Uh, Messiah is the Hebrew. Uh, And both words mean the anointed one. Uh, The one promised in the scriptures. Uh, And Luke has been crystal clear right the way throughout his gospel that Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one. But the term Messiah had become a bit of a political one. Uh, It was thought at the time that it would be someone who would come and who would overthrow the Romans and chuck them out and restore Israel. And so those questioning Jesus know that if they can just get him to say that he is the Messiah, it will be seen as a direct rebellion against the Roman authorities. But Jesus knows exactly what they're up to, doesn't he? Uh, He knows that they only want to trap him. Uh, And so he answers like this, verse 67. If I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. Rather than answering their question directly, Jesus actually gives him a warning. He says, you guys, you don't even want to accept that I am your picture of the Messiah. Uh, But the reality is that I am far, far more than your picture of the Messiah. What you have in mind. Uh, I am the, the Son of Man. The awesome title uh, Jesus used most for himself was the Son of Man. Uh, it's used 82 times in the Gospels. Uh, and it refers to Daniel chapter 7, where Daniel has this, this incredible vision of the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. Uh, and he'll be given everlasting dominion and an everlasting kingdom. And he'll be given glory. And Jesus is saying, That's me. You see, Jesus shows them the irony of judging the judge. The irony is that they think they have power over Jesus to judge him. And yet very soon, he will be sat at the right hand of the Father, the right hand of God, and he will be the judge of all things. One day, those very Jewish authorities, those very people, will see him as their eternal judge. 
Uh, Jesus is not just some political Messiah who's come to overthrow the Romans. Uh, No, he will have an everlasting kingdom recognized by everyone who has ever lived. And he is the true judge. And it's clear straight away that they at least see some of the implications of what he's saying because they all then say angrily, are you then the son of God? And Jesus replies, you say that I am. They see that only the the son of God could claim that sort of position. You can imagine their eyes red with rage, blasphemy, they cry. They want to to kill him, uh, but they don't have the power. So they all jump on their feet and they bundle him off to Pilate, who does have the power, so that they can get the death sentence that they desire. Pilate probably hasn't been up long at this point. Uh, It's early in the morning, uh, but he now has Jesus thrust before him by the Jewish leaders. Uh, Little does Pilate know that this is a day that he will be remembered for more than anything else, for hundreds of, uh, of years, even thousands of years. They begin to accuse Jesus before Pilate. We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. They're deceitful and cunning. Uh, They know that Pilate won't care about blasphemy or Jesus saying that he's God's. Uh, So they twist the charges against Jesus. Uh, uh, They try and put him up against the Roman authorities. Uh, He's misleading the nation. He's, He's stirring up rebellion. Uh, He says he's a king. It's treason. Is Is that really what Jesus meant when he said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's? Uh, They either don't know the truth or they deliberately forget it, don't they? Uh, Maybe we can even relate. Maybe we sometimes conveniently forget what Jesus says, or, or we choose not to wrestle with his words. And there's, there's another tragic irony here, isn't there? The irony of rebelling against their true king. You see, the priests were supposed to be those who led the people in God's ways. Uh, They were the religious ones. Uh, They should have known that the scriptures promised that one day the prophet, uh, the Christ, the king would come. We're told in 2 Samuel that this king would be in the, the line of David and his throne and kingdom will be established forever. The priests were supposed to be waiting for him. And yet when he finally comes... They're blind to him uh, and they rebel against him. Uh, Rather than Jesus misleading the nation, uh, they are misleading the Jewish people. They are forbidding them to give tribute to their true king. They are rebelling against their king to the point that they even want to put him to death. It's treason. And they even claim that he is committing treason. It's so tragically ironic. But what about Pilate? It seems that he 
quickly realizes that Jesus isn't a threat. Uh, He says to the chief priests and the crowns, uh, I find no guilt in this man. But we're told that they are urgent and they they stir up the people against Jesus. They want Jesus, their their true king, removed. And Pilate is trapped. He knows Jesus is innocent, but he's also really worried about public opinion. He wants to please the crowds. Uh, and so he suddenly thinks of his, his get-out-of-jail-free card, doesn't he? Uh, he remembers that Jesus is from Galilee, uh, and Galilee is part of Herod's jurisdiction. Uh, and he thinks, uh, I'll, I'll send him off to Herod. Uh, he can make the decision. And we'll hear about that next week. Pilate doesn't want to take any responsibility for the decision But if we read on, we see that Herod sends Jesus back, Pilate caves in, and he gives the crowd what they want. He's spineless, and Jesus is condemned to death. Well, we've covered a lot of ground, haven't we? Uh, But what are we to make of, of all this? We need to see that on the eve of Jesus' death, he proclaimed to the world with mastery and with dignity and with skill uh, that he is the great prophet, Uh, he is the Messiah. Uh, He proclaimed that he was the son of man who would sit at the right hand of God and judge the world. He wasn't misleading people, he was the true king. What was going on? Why was he going through with this? Peter gives us a summary when he writes, Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Back in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus accepted the cup of God's wrath. Uh, so that we, the unrighteous, uh, might be able to have a relationship with God. Uh, And today we've seen him starting to drink that cup. Uh, He knows the path that he has to walk, even though he's the son of man. And it would be the most tragic irony of all, wouldn't it, if after seeing who Jesus truly is uh, and what he has come to do, uh, what he has done for us, Uh, if we don't respond in wonder and in faith and worship. Maybe uh, you're here today or you're watching today and you're tempted to mock Jesus or Christianity like those guards. Uh, He he just looks so weak. Uh, how, How can he possibly know what's best for us? It's ridiculous to read the Bible literally. It's it's anti-intellectual. Or maybe you're like the priests. Uh, Whatever you hear about Jesus, you've already decided uh, that you don't believe and you're not willing to give him a chance. Uh, And yet, uh, as as you've seen who he is today, uh, wouldn't it be amazing if, if this picture of Jesus was true? Uh, Surely it's at least worth investigating properly. Or maybe we're here today or we're watching and 
Uh, We're religious like the priests. We come to church every week. But we haven't actually recognized Jesus as the true king. Uh, We've hardened our hearts against him. And maybe we even think that we can sit in judgment over him. Uh, We might think, God's got a lot of questions to answer. Uh, It's outrageous for Jesus to think that he can be king of every area of my life. Well, we're so easily like Pilate, aren't we? We don't mock Jesus. We don't want to get rid of him. But we're really worried about what other people might think. Uh, We don't want to make things difficult for ourselves, do we? We're not willing to look different or to stand up for who Jesus is uh, or to point others to him as the king. Which one are you? Who do you need to repent of being this morning? I'm sure we all relate to at least one of them, don't we? But have you noticed that every one of them look, uh, each one of them looks foolish as we look back here, don't they? And what fools we will look uh, as one day we stand before Jesus as our judge, uh, if we've seen who he is uh, here in this passage and we've seen what he's done for us and yet we've not been willing to listen uh, and we've not been willing to be courageous. It would be such a tragic irony, wouldn't it? So let's pray as we finish. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that so soon before you died, you proclaimed to the world who you were. You helped us to see clearly that this was not just some tragic accident, but you are the Son of Man, the one who sits at the right hand of the Father, the one who will judge the world. And yet you are our saviour. You are willing to walk this path for us, uh, to drink the cup, to go to the cross for each one of us. We pray that you would help us to see you clearly this morning. We pray that you'd help us to repent of the ways in which we are like those people who didn't recognize him. And we pray that you would make us truly thankful this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.